today on the Nutrition Couch podcast, I want you to take a moment to consider what is your earliest childhood food memory? That might take a little bit of time, but there'll be something that pops up probably when you're in somewhere between the ages of four and eight that will stand out in the area of food and nutrition. On today's midweek motivational episode of The Nutrition Couch, I have a fascinating client case study which demonstrates how powerful our early experiences of food can be. Hi, I'm Susie Burrell. And I'm Leanne Ward. And each week we bring you The Nutrition Couch, the bi-weekly podcast that keeps you up to date on everything you need to know in the world of nutrition. As well as early childhood eating, today we have a fantastic low-carb pasta that actually tastes pretty good. And our weekly recipe share is the perfect warm lunch or light dinner that you can meal prep in advance. So Leanne, this came to me as a, a topic because it's a little strategy that I use with clients. So whenever I have what I would describe as an abnormal relationship with food, I encourage my clients to take some time to think about a memory of food when they were young. Because when we have what we would describe as maladaptive reactions to things, sometimes it's a result of of unconscious programming or experiences we have when we're quite young. And this comes up a lot with women in nutrition, particularly in the diet space, because if they've been exposed to restrictive eating and diets from quite a young age, that can have naturally a very powerful effect on, on their perception of diets and food as they get older. It can be a real barrier to success. So for example, going on auto cue with overeating at times or feeling very entitled that they should be able to eat certain foods. But in this context, it was my client who had started her diet. And I say diet, but meal plan, you know, lifestyle change. And she started her program and my meal plans, as are yours, are very generous. You know, we include foods that our clients love. You know, they're not overly restrictive. Yes, there's a calorie deficit, but there's an art to doing that so people don't feel restricted. And it can include all their favorite foods, really, with the exception of probably soft drink and a couple of others. You know, so there's nothing restrictive about the plan. So when I had a message back from my client, she was alluding to how restricted she felt because she'd never cut her calories or carbs so much. And, And I wrote back to her and I said, It's not lowering carbs or calories at all. And so a couple of things through the week was that she sort of was eating unusual food decisions that didn't make sense when it came to appetite control. So when I got her on the phone again, I said to her, look, I want you over the next week or so to really think about any early food experiences that you've had because obviously there's something there that makes you feel restricted no matter what. And since it's not actually the case, I'm wondering what else is going on. And Leanne, it just worked a charm. It couldn't be more powerful. So she came back. And I don't want to get too specific because it's quite personal stuff. But basically, there was a relationship she identified that when she was young, one of her parents had uh, been quite absent and spent a lot of time with other siblings over her and kind of had, I I guess, a preference in that way. Or when, when the parent had not been very nice, the parent left a food reward for my client in her room. And that was what she came back with straight away. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is such a good strategy because that tells me everything that I need to know about the client. Because basically, she has now understood that food or sweet food to her is a massive reward because she was programmed as a little girl, like three, four, five years of age, to associate parental attention with food reward. And so now, how that will help her is that she will be able to identify that when she feels like rewarding herself with treats, whether it's with her parent or without, she'll understand that that is an abnormal programming that came from that that relationship that she had no control over because she was so little that she learned so young 
that when, you know, someone hadn't treated her very well, that she would get a food reward. And it's things like that that really come up. I'll I'll share one of mine, actually. One of my very early food experiences is remembering in the 80s when parents had dinner parties, having Mars bars in the fridge. You know, I don't know if anyone grew up in the 80s. They used to have those mini Mars bars after dinner. And I remember stealing them when I would have been seven or eight and having them in my room because my dad wouldn't give them. Now, probably that's why I'm a dietitian and obsessed with food and, and interested in it and now encourage my kids to have access to food all the time because I don't want them to have that restrictive feeling so that they don't sneak and steal food. So, yeah, it's a really interesting thing because if you tend to binge eat or, you know, feel like you um, can't control yourself around food or feel restricted as soon as there's any kind of diet change, if you think back, there was probably some some early childhood programming and it's really interesting with clients how randomly they pop up and how powerful they are. And I could give you 10 examples of, of clients who'd been exposed to restrictive diets when they were very young which, you know, you don't even need to sit in a psychologist's chair to work that relationship out. But the thing with this behaviour, it's not taking away our childhood trauma or or certainly expecting you to go to therapy. But when we are aware of these things, it's much easier to be objective with them and manage them. And that's the purpose. Just bring it into awareness so you perhaps understand why your response to that is perhaps not quite normal and a bit maladaptive, because then you can take the steps to manage it and say, oh, you know, that's because I was programmed And now I can make a conscious decision to choose differently. 100%. I had a very similar experience where it was completely different, but it was about that early childhood experience where I had a client and her mum had taken her to Weight Watchers. Like she'd been dieting with her mum all through her teenage years. I think the first time she went to Weight Watchers was when she was nine years old. Every diet her mum did, she did the same diet. And essentially when we were chatting through menus and that sort of thing, I said, you know, look, um, one of the linear options, like maybe a bit of steak or some prawns with some veggies, that would be good. Potentially even one of the salads would be good. And she's like, oh no, I can't go out to dinner and eat a salad. And I sort of thought, why not? Like she's happy to eat a salad for lunch or dinner at home, but she just has this belief that she can't go out to a nice restaurant and order a salad. And it wasn't like it was just a plate of leaves. Like it was a lovely salad, you know, it had grilled chicken breast, it had avocado, beetroot, feta, like it was, you know, even a bit of quinoa or something. Like it was a nice filling salad. It would have been quite lovely. And I just sort of pushed her around that a little bit and was like, oh, why is that? And it was because of that early childhood experience where whenever they went out and they didn't go out a lot, it was like a total free-for-all because her mum was constantly on a diet or off a diet, on a diet or off a diet. So every time they went out, it had to be a burger or a, you know, a pizza or a palmy, something like high calorie and decadent. She'd never actually gone out and made like a balanced, nutritious choice. It was always like the most unhealthy thing on the menu because it was always seen as like a cheat day or something like that. So I think it's a really interesting thing to do is really thinking about those early food experiences. And if you do, as Susie said, struggle with just your responses to some things or just seem to have an abnormal response to some eating situations is just a really nice thing to think about. And potentially it is a great idea to go and get, you know, go and chat with a therapist or, or just talk through that with someone because it can really have a profound impact on change long-term and the results that a lot of our clients are trying to get long-term. Particularly if you've got daughters as well and you're exposed to restrictive eating as a, a mom, and that's a really sensitive issue for you. I think that when you want to go and teach your daughters as sound eating habits as you can, you know, sometimes it can pay great dividends to sort of have a look at your own food issues. Because the other thing actually is a really good resource for this. There's a novel out at the moment, and I think it's called I'm Glad My Mum Died, which is a horrific title. Oh my God. (laughs) But it is a very profound autobiography 
by an American actress and she details her and her mother's relationship with food and enmeshment. Yep. It's called I'm Glad My Mum Died by Jeanette McCurdy, who is a childhood actress from the States. My certain came out this morning for $19. It is quite intense, but a great psychological insight into the effect of mothers on food and diet. So if that you do have that history and that resonates and isn't too traumatic, it's a very powerful read and it's autobiographical. So I found that really interesting as well. All right, we're moving on to some lighter topics now. (laughs) I was going to say, moving on to some spaghetti. (laughs) It's a really good book. No, it's a really good book. Like it's a great read and great fascinating insight into enmeshment in terms of food and eating with with mums and daughters. Moving on, we got, Leanne sent me this product because we're always looking for new products that are interesting to chat about. So the other thing we should say is on our Instagram, if you too see any interesting new food products, just send them through because we often will search for ideas based on that. And Leanne, you have found for us today a black soybean spaghetti. Yeah, it actually came from one of our followers. So someone sent me this and said, have you seen this? I think it's really interesting. And I looked at it and I said, you're right, that is very interesting. So I had a quick Google on where you could find it because I've never seen it in my local supermarket. And so it's available at Harris Farm. It's the Eco Organics Black Bean Spaghetti brand. It's $5.99 for a packet, which is 200 grams. And the serving size is about 100 grams. I sort of think that's quite a large serving size. When you think about how much protein and fiber goes in there, I'll go through that in a second. I think you could easily get three or four serving sizes out of that just because I think for someone like myself who's a bit sensitive to beans and legumes, like having having 100 grams of that wouldn't do my gut that great a service, but each to their own. Basically, the only ingredients are certified organic black beans and water. So it's basically a bean spaghetti and per 100 grams, which is the serving size, it's just over, just shy of 1500 kilojoules. 44.4 grams of protein, Susie, like massive whack of protein. It's gluten-free, which is great, dairy-free, egg-free, so it's very allergen-friendly. Fat-wise, they've got 10 grams of fat in there. Carbs is 9.8 grams, so very low fat for a decent amount of you know bean spaghetti, I guess. 22 grams of dietary fiber, a whopping amount of dietary fiber. Very, very almost insignificant amount of sodium, six milligrams. Calcium, very surprising, Susie, 223 milligrams per serve. And magnesium, which we know a lot of people are trying to up in their diet to help with sleep, to help with menstrual cycles and that sort of thing, even potentially those chocolate cravings. There's a very small amount of research to say that potentially could be linked back to a magnesium deficiency. So 229 milligrams of magnesium per serving as well. So this is a great product, Susie. I can't fault it, particularly because you're getting some added nutrients the dietary fiber is super high, the protein is super high. I must admit I haven't tried it, so I don't know what it's like taste-wise, but the texture looks just like normal spaghetti to me. But I just think if you're a bit sensitive in the guts, like a good whack of 22 grams of dietary fiber coming from your legumes, maybe a little bit too much. So maybe start with a half serve and see how you feel. <laughs> I find with these pastas, and it is different to the Slendia range because Slendia has a similar product, but I looked and they're different, so they aren't the same product. I find clients love them or hate them in terms of the edamame or in this instance is black soybean. So I think if you like it, they're fantastic. I'm with you. I would probably add prawns and a tomato passata zucchini right through it and, and use it as a mixture, which is how I use pastas anyway. But I think that they're well worth a try because they're really significantly lower in, in carbohydrate. They'll be much more filling. And if you love a, a pasta or are happy to have a lighter version just to mix up dishes, it's a great choice. Yeah, I'd, I'd use this. I'd use half normal pasta and half this pasta just to increase the protein and the fiber, particularly if I've got a client who's vegetarian who we're trying to boost the protein up that little bit as well. So I'd use it with a mix of normal pasta, but if you are someone who's a bit insulin resistant or you need lower carb or you want lower carb, definitely just using this with a base of sort of zucchini noodles or something like that could be a really great option. 
Yeah, great. All right. Well, just to finish up today, we've got a beautiful uh, hot smoked salmon and goat's cheese frittata. So I will preface this by saying it is one of the recipes I prepare for Tassau, which is my client. But this has been a really popular recipe online because I think people are often looking for something new and different. And admittedly, you'd have to be a fan of goat's cheese, and I know not everyone is, but it will actually work well with the ricotta as well. So it's simply a piece of the hot smoked salmon that is actually already cooked. It's got eight eggs, so it's really going to be high in protein, some milk, just a quarter of a cup of goat's cheese, which is not a lot. But again, you could replace that with ricotta a tablespoon of dill, which is one of my favourite herbs, four spring onions, some baby spinach and mix it around and bake it as a frittata. Now, you can also make it as mini ones, so you could get the muffin trays out and have it there even as a breakfast, but I have had such amazing feedback. So many people on Instagram have cooked it and just love it because it's easy to make, really high protein. You serve it with a big salad, really filling and delicious. And I think at the moment, Leanne, a lot of us are looking for warming options through the day in particular. So that would be a great warm lunch. It could be a breakfast as well. And then you could also have it as a light dinner. So big thumbs up and we will post that recipe on our Instagram, The Nutrition Couch. Well, that brings us to the end of our midweek motivational episode for a Wednesday. Please keep telling your friends about us so we can continue to grow. And we will see you on Sunday for our regular weekly episode drop. Have a great week. Bye.